every person in the world today, including you, lives under a dominant story. What story do you see yourself in? What is the narrative that gives the most meaning and significance to your life? This past week marked the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and the men who hijacked those planes that ultimately killed 3,000 people that day, they lived under a dominant story. Their story told them that Americans were infidels and that killing non-Muslims was the right thing to do. Their story told them that martyrdom will automatically save Muslims from hell and will grant them access into paradise and it will overlook any past sins committed. And so if you're a young man with a guilty conscience for sins that you've committed, a suicide mission in the name of Allah seems like something you might consider. There are a lot of dominant stories that people live under today. Consider materialism or naturalism. This is the story that says the natural world is all that exists. Everything we know must come through empirical methods like science. Anything supernatural is rejected. There is no God, there is no creator. In fact, science is God. Nothing happens when we die, we just decompose and lose consciousness and cease to exist. Astronomer Carl Sagan summarized the naturalist story. The cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. Postmodernism or relativism is a dominant story. This is the story that rejects the idea that objective truth exists. We can't know anything for sure. Everything is subjective. And so we should question everything. We, we should pursue what makes us happy. As long as we're not hurting anybody else, that's all that matters. And what I want you to see is that both naturalism and postmodernism are popular stories that people live under today. According to a 2021 survey from Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center, 43% of millennials say they don't know, care, or believe that God exists. So where do these stories ultimately take you? I think they take you to one of two outcomes. One is, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Well, let's just pursue pleasure, or they lead to another outcome, and that's just, we might as well get our life over with. But there is no ultimate meaning and purpose in life. We're not the product of a divine creator. We're just the the, the the result of random evolutionary chance. Your dominant story is your worldview. It is the lens through which you view the world. And the reason why this is so important, George Barna, he says, your worldview is the decision-making filter that informs every decision you make, intellectual, moral, emotional, and spiritual. What is the dominant story in your life? In Romans chapter 1, we see the story of God, and we see examples of people viewing their lives not through the lens of God's story, but through a lesser story. I want to read it together. Romans chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 16. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. In verses 18 through 23, Paul describes people who know God, but they live their lives without Him. They believe that God exists, but their lives are a part of His story. Verse 23 says, They exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They don't honor God. In fact, they live as if the created things, these false gods, exist to serve them. They manipulate things in order to to get what they want. These are people who live me-centered lives. They live for the glory of themselves instead of the glory of God. We can say it this way. They are the main character in the story of their lives. They are the hero of their own story. And here's the deal with these lesser stories. Not every lesser story is anti-Christian. Your story may involve God, but I guess the question is, do you see yourself in God's story, or do you see God as a part of your story? I want to give you a few examples of some lesser stories. We'll begin with Job Jeremy. The dominant story that guides and shapes Jeremy's life is his job and how quickly he climbs the corporate ladder. If Jeremy were to write the story of his life, he would track his promotions and his salary. He would categorize the weeks and months and years that pass as either setbacks or steps forward. His job is the dominant story that he sees himself in. And so he interprets events and opportunities and challenges within the context of his job performance and in reference to the wealth, status, and power that he hopes to gain. Jeremy would call himself a Christian. He listens to a Christian music playlist on Spotify on his way to work each day. He doesn't read his Bible much, but he takes his family to church a couple times a month as long as they're not at the lake or doing traveling sports. He's quick to help out his friends and coworkers in need, and he really cares about providing well for his family. But still, the the primary narrative of Jeremy's life is his career. 
When he wakes up in the morning, his mind's already racing. What role will today play in my success story? What wins will I achieve this week? How will I know I've made progress next month? Advancement and success. That's the dominant story he sees himself in. And then there's political Peggy. The dominant story that guides and shapes Peggy's life is the wins and losses of her political party. If Peggy were to write the story of her life, it would revolve around her involvement and the political landscape of her culture. The story she sees herself in is in a political narrative where politicians and talk show hosts and news anchors duke it out over the future of the country. Her story unfolds in high drama, shared daily through social media and cable news. Peggy sees herself as a warrior in a battle where people on one side want to destroy the nation while people on her side fight valiantly to protect it. Peggy's days are filled watching videos of her favorite pundits owning or destroying people on the other side of the aisle. She cheers and she campaigns. She leaves comments and she shares articles. For Peggy, the setbacks and advancements in her life are connected to polling data, debate performances, legislation that's passed, and election results. Like Jeremy, Peggy is religious. She tries to read a chapter from the Bible each morning. She goes to church almost every Sunday. But for the most part, her attention is consumed by politics. The story of her day is determined by whatever her preferred news outlet labels breaking news. The primary narrative of Peggy's life is her political involvement. She thinks about political activism when she wakes up in the morning and when she goes to bed at night. Her church attendance and her reading of the Bible merely serve to bolster her belief that she's fighting the good fight. And then there's Leisure Larry. The dominant story that guides and shapes Larry's life is how much time he can create for relaxation and pleasure. His life is devoted to leisure and entertainment. And if Larry were to sketch his life story, he would describe the various vacations that he took, the video games that he played, the, the movies that he watched in the theater on opening night. Now, Larry isn't lazy. He works hard at becoming the best gamer in his circle of friends when they play online. He makes sure to, to block out big chunks of time so that he can binge through the, the latest series on Netflix when it drops. He's a hard worker too, even if it's just a means to an end. He's certainly not passionate about his job, but he gets his work done quickly and efficiently so that he can maximize his time to do the things that he really wants to do. Larry believes in God. He goes to church regularly. He gets on his Bible app and he reads the verse of the day. He tries to live a good moral life. But the primary narrative of his life is how he pushes through his work obligations so that he can dedicate his evenings and his weekends to laid-back leisure. For Larry, setbacks and advancements are determined by the time and money it takes to pursue entertainment and distractions. I, I want to be clear. It's not wrong to pursue advancement and success at your job. It's not wrong to be involved in politics. It's not wrong to enjoy entertainment and relax. 
a strong career drive, care about politics, space for leisure and vacation can be healthy. The problem is, these stories fail to provide satisfaction and lasting significance for our lives. Lesser stories ultimately let us down. They fail. Here's what happened to those who lived under a lesser story in Romans chapter 1. We read in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Your job may be good, but it's a lesser good than God. Political involvement is good and fine, but it's nowhere near as important as your allegiance to King Jesus. Leisure and entertainment may help create a healthy and well-rounded life until that becomes the purpose of your life. What is the primary story that you see yourself in? The gospel is a better story. The gospel is the one true story that all stories will ultimately find themselves in. God's story precedes, finishes, corrects, and ultimately makes sense of all other stories. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If we're going to become a people who are gospel fluent, we have to understand what is the gospel. So let me give you a definition this morning. Gospel simply means good news. The gospel is the good news that in and through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, God saves us from the penalty of sin into relationship with Him. And then He restores creation, allowing us to enjoy our new life together with Him forever. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And when you and I talk about salvation, we almost always talk about it in the past tense. I was saved when I was 13. Right? We point to that moment in our lives where we trusted in Jesus, we repented of our sins, we were baptized into Christ. But I want you to understand that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for our entire lives. Jeff Vanderstelt says, We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. Salvation impacts our past, our present, and our future. Last week, we talked about how the gospel is often described as the good news of how to go to heaven instead of hell. And and that is the result But the gospel involves a much bigger story than how it impacts you personally. This story, the story of God, can be be told in four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and ultimately restoration. And I want you to see that this storyline also answers life's biggest questions that determine our view of God, our view of ourselves, and the world that we live in. The first part of the story is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke into existence the universe. And the pinnacle of God's creation was humanity. Being made in His image. And God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, 
where they enjoyed perfect fellowship with their Creator. Creation was characterized by beauty, harmony, and the absence of sin and suffering. So creation gives us our true identity. What is my identity? I'm a child of God. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. What do I look to? What do I trust in? What do I depend on for my worth? I depend and rely on God, my creator. The second part of the story is the fall. Despite the paradise in Eden, humanity chose to rebel against God's command. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating from the forbidden fruit of the tree. And this act of disobedience introduced sin into into the world. It severed the perfect relationship between God and humanity. And as a result, suffering, death, and brokenness entered into the world. The fall represented humanity's turning away from God and the consequences of that rebellion. The fall tells us what is the true problem. What is wrong? Sin. What is the real problem here? It's our rejection of God. It's the brokenness we experience by living in a fallen world. The third part of the story is redemption. In God's infinite love and mercy, He initiated a plan of redemption. He promised a Savior who would reconcile humanity to Himself. And this promise was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. He taught about the kingdom of God. He ultimately offered Himself as a sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And through His death and resurrection, Jesus provided a way for people to be forgiven, reconciled to God, and to be restored into a right relationship with Him. So redemption tells us who can fix this problem that we have? Jesus. He is our true Savior. And then the fourth part of the story is restoration. The story of God culminates in the future hope of restoration. God promises to make all things new. In the end, there will be a restoration of perfect fellowship between God and His people, a renewal of creation, the elimination of sin and suffering. The Bible describes this future restoration as the new heavens and the new earth, where God's glory will shine brightly. His people will live in eternal harmony with Him. It's a vision of ultimate reconciliation, a return to the perfect state of creation. Restoration answers the question, where's hope? My hope is found in God's promises shown throughout history. My confidence is found in the hope of Jesus' return and eternity with Him. And I want you to see today that the gospel. the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the culmination of of God's story. The gospel is Jesus' life. Jesus, as the Son of God, perfectly reflects and represents God's image. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we see God's love, grace, and holiness. Jesus' life demonstrates what our relationship with God was always supposed to be. His life reveals our true identity as children of God. The gospel is Jesus' death. 
The fall marked man's disobedience and separation from God. And the consequence, according to Romans 6.23, is death. Spiritual separation from God. And so Jesus' death on the cross directly answers the problem of sin. His death was an atoning sacrifice. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus willingly took upon Himself the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion. And by doing this, He offered forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Jesus' death bridges the separation caused by the fall. The gospel is Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the ultimate proof of victory over sin, death, and the powers of evil. It demonstrates that the work of redemption was accomplished. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The story of God's restoration envisions the renewal of all creation and the restoration of perfect fellowship between God and humanity. Jesus' resurrection foreshadows and guarantees this future restoration. It serves as a preview of what's to come when God's kingdom is fully established. In Jesus' resurrection, we see the first fruits of a new creation, a glimpse of the restored and glorified state of both humanity and the world. His resurrection points to the ultimate restoration that awaits all believers when God's purposes are fulfilled. And so today, I want to challenge you to examine the dominant story of your life. Are you living under a lesser story? A story that ultimately disappoints you and leaves you empty? Or are you embracing the gospel as the better story that impacts your past, present, and future? Through the story of God, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we discover the true narrative that defines us, fills us with hope, and leads us to eternal joy. I encourage you today to choose the gospel as your dominant story. For in the gospel, we find ultimate purpose, fulfillment, and the abundant life that Christ promises. The gospel is the greatest story ever told. Why would we settle for anything less? Would you pray with me? God, today we are thankful for the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And God, I pray today, instead of pursuing lesser stories that give us temporary satisfaction, God, I pray that we would lose ourselves in your story, that we would understand that the gospel, the story of God, is the true story. And all of our lesser stories find their fulfillment in your story. God, help us to understand your story, to understand how it answers the biggest questions of our life. And I pray that that your story would become our story, that we would serve you, we would live for you, that we would understand that the gospel gives us power, it gives us strength for everything that we need. 
It's the power in our lives. It's the hope that we cling to. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.